0: Welcome to this special edition of Geek 4. Unlike other episodes, which are interviews with people about the things that they're passionate about, or occasionally an audio essay from me about something I'm passionate about, this episode is a conversation between three scholars about the book The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. The three of us were all featured in the documentary The Science Fiction Makers. And in a conversation that started over Twitter, we thought... Why not do a science fiction reading group over the summer? This is the first of our conversations, and hopefully not the last, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Oh, hello, hello. I am very pleased to be here. My name is Brenton Dickerson, and I live in Prince Edward Island. I'm broadcasting to you from my basement. Uh, in Prince Edward Island and I have uh, done work mostly in speculative fiction uh, and I do my research thinking about the way that authors build worlds and then what we learn about uh, culture, gods, humanity, morality, and thought in, in the way the worlds are built. So not just the characters and the plots and things like that, but the actual the way the, the fabric of the universe speaks to the world, uh, to our particular culture or the culture of the authors and things like that. And so that's what I do. And so most of my work's been with C.S. Lewis and the blog at of uh, and uh But I've also worked in some other authors too. So yeah, I'll pass it over. Michael, who are you?
0: Uh, I'm Michael Boyce and I am in my kind of secondary office at work in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, I, I work on film and literature kind of cultural pieces, cultural studies. And I haven't done a lot of work in science fiction until quite recently. And it's really something I've developed uh, an interest in, a scholarly interest in. I've been a fan for many years, but uh, now I'm anxious to talk about The Sparrow with with uh, two excellent scholars. So <laughs> Emily. Oh, no, no pressure. <laughs> right. Oh, no tag.
2: Uh, I'm Emily Strand and I am uh, <laughs> I am a a literature scholar. When I was in high school, I really wanted to be a literature scholar. Um, but then I went to college and I always tell my students, the Lord got a hold of me. And I ended up majoring in theology and then pursuing a master's in theology. And so I'm actually a Catholic liturgist. So I'm somebody who helps put on Catholic worship and make it go and help people understand it. And um, But being a female and a layperson, my biggest role with that is to to educate people on the sacraments. and But I still have always harbored my love of literature, and I uh, indulge that and express that through, usually through um, analysis of Harry Potter on our podcast, Potterversity, um, also on my blog, liturgyandlife.com and just through being able to do little things like this, geeking out with other people about books that tell us about about God and religion and faith and... Uh yeah, the bleakness of life and and the not bleakness of life. And- <laughs> the
1: bleakness of life. <laughs> bleakness that was great. That's yeah. not a bad segue, perhaps, yeah. to what we're gonna talk about. But I have to say so we were we're all connected in that um we were in this documentary together. Yes,
0: and if we don't mention it quickly, Andrew will comment to me. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Yeah.
1: So the the documentaries on the science fiction makers is this Yes. Yes, good. Yeah, excellent. You and got it. <laughs> Yeah, Andrew Wall with I think it's Refuge Twenty One has been doing a number of documentaries. Uh, actually, like weirdly productive human being uh, in what. He- <laughs> And the fantasy makers for my cynical family got the review of, oh, that was actually good. Like, that's actually <laughs> super high quality. Uh, I, that's like a rare uh, documentary review for my family. And th- with, they only watched because I said I was going to be in the, the, the <laughs> follow-up to this on the science fiction makers. And, and then we're really surprised when they saw kind of the screenshots and stuff. So I, I, so I appreciate Andrew Well for bringing my value up in the household actually <laughs> they yes. no longer think that i'm just pretend i'm yes. only partly pretend now i'm
0: still trying to figure out how to get an imdb credit for that uh, for that production just so i can say huh. I'm yeah an that's IMDb. really be uh but yeah. you know at well, some point i'll ask andrew about that
1: yeah we'll figure we'll figure that out that i don't know that there's a giant team of pr people with refuge 20 and i have to admit like i mentioned it because i was jealous emily of your dress in the film because i dressed like the you know you know with like a button-up shirt and blazer but like the cool t-shirt under the blazer was a move (laughs) that i hadn't considered and it'll actually be one of my regrets like in life in life yeah like when i come to (laughs) when i'm on that day day.
2: comes uh it's funny because i discussed the whole thing with my mom and i was talking with her about like what should i wear for this and and you know we had this whole outfit picked out, and there were going to be pearls involved, and it was going to be very professional. And then when the time came, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm only comfortable <laughs> in a robot t-shirt. Yeah, right. I can't do that's, this without a robot t-shirt on. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's what weird. I wore.
1: So that's why I'm wearing my star a Star Wars t-shirt today. Join.
2: Oh, us. very good, very good. Thank and you.
1: And there's a little bit of a sort of a thematic link to to what we're talking about today. Yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, I'm
0: curious. This might be a good uh, point to just jump in. Like, what is our individual connection with sci-fi? Um, okay. You know, like we all kind of fantasy literature kind of came up as, in our introductions. Sci-fi and fantasy are often linked, but they're not really as connected as people think. And people are not always fans of both. Like, what are your what are your relationships to science fiction?
2: Mm. No, well, I mean, I'll go first because mine is very... Than
1: the shirts, right? the shirts, Other than, the, the, shirts, right? other
2: than the, ro- yeah. the fact that I often wear a robot T-shirt. I have that in more than one color, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so uh, mine's pretty recent because I uh, didn't really grow up reading that sort of thing. It was not on the shelves. There were lots of books on the shelves in my uh, family home growing up, but not science fiction. Um so I I kind of got into all speculative fiction through I would say through Harry Potter, and then that I went into Tolkien and everything. And so so in taking classes um, for Signum University, which I have done several now um, over the past several years, awesome awesome experiences all. Um, I really got into basically anything being offered, especially by Dr. Amy Sturgis. Um, and so. I wanted to take a science fiction course with her. And that is how I heard about The Sparrow. Although it wasn't read in the course, um, I took the part one for science fiction, and I believe right. they read The Sparrow in part two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's how I heard about The Sparrow. And that is how I have begun to be interested in science fiction, and especially in the kind of religious themes that you find in uh, science fiction, of which there's surprisingly a lot.
1: Yeah, no, I think I definitely, I, I, I agree. So I didn't really grow up making the distinction between those worlds. Uh-huh. I didn't get, I didn't read, I probably read some school books and I read like the Black Stallion series and stuff, but like I get, I had a horse thing. So there were more horses in maybe fantasy and um, realistic fiction than in sci-fi. But I grew up like all my sci-fi growing up was that 80s kind of like vast world, like uh, a lot of walking um, so a lot of the sci-fi Ender's, like the Ender's Game kind of stuff, was coming about. So a lot of the sci-fi had a lot of really like either supernatural or fantastic. Uh, can I use the word set design within the spec within the space world or within the other world, right? And so they, and, and, and so Ursula Le Guin, for example, right? Uh-huh. And Earthsea is is like just really like sci-fi, you know, magic world Earthsea, okay but it, you know like her science fiction stuff through through the 60s and 70s is actually it's a little harder to define right and 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 she lives comfortably in both those worlds margaret atwood in canada is somebody who, who writes dystopia and then other kinds of sci-fi projects and she wants to call it speculative fiction it's a good mm-hmm. term for what she does and and pulls it back a bit right and and so yeah so and then like for me turning to cs lewis when I started my doctorate about a decade ago, it wasn't, it was maybe of the fiction I was first drawn to his kind of weird sci-fi experiments in the thirties and forties. That was more of a draw to me than Narnia. Like I I first intended not really to deal with Narnia at all. And, um, but I was attracted to something that I was having trouble placing and that kind of sci-fi, and so, so that that kind of world of, of these people kind of playing with these themes through the, the the 30s about the 80s is kind of was my attraction. So, I don't have like I don't know that I ever taught. I, I don't think I ever took a course called science fiction or something like that. So it's kind of like a long one mm. way of thinking about the world. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Michael?
0: Well, I I'm the Star Wars generation. So yeah. you know, um, you know. <laughs> 70, 77. I'm two years old. Uh, <laughs> so I don't go see the the first one, but I definitely have memories of, you know, playing star Wars as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I understand that star Wars is, is maybe more better defined as science fantasy. Um, but, you know, from there I developed an interest in like star Trek. And, you know, by the time I was in high school, Star Trek, the next generation was on. Yeah. And I would say that science fiction has kind of remained uh, an interest, uh, though I haven't gotten into it as much as um, as some people. Uh, but you know, films like Blade Runner in the '80s and Back to the Future all had kind of a science fiction-y element that attracted me and was really interesting. And 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 like you both, I'm fascinated by the cultural implications. Um, and you know, when I was preparing for the documentary, when Andrew kind of <laughs> gave me a heads up, like I'm thinking of doing this. Do you have anything to say? Mm. Let me find something to say. Um, exploring the idea of religion in in science fiction is very different than fantasy. Um, mm. But you're right. Like I think I think you know, you go to Doctor Who, you go to you, you go to Star Trek. There are episodes in those franchises that are very heavily religious for lack mm. of a better term, um, even though, as a genre science fiction doesn't always embrace a theologically complicated reading of the universe. It's, it's much more on the practical, the physical, the, but, but there's still something there. And, and I've always been kind of drawn to that um, honestly. So
1: is there, is there a science fiction book or series that has like a thoroughly embedded but cloaked religious world view, like, like Tolkien and middle earth?
2: What comes to mind for me is a Canticle for Leibowitz.
1: Yeah, sure, but like it's 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 looking straight at the thing, right? Yeah. The, the yeah, you, no, absolutely. It's a it's a certainly a, an author dealing with Catholic, Catholic themes, but it's a Catholic right. And, priest, right? Yeah. <laughs> and
2: it's not it's well, yeah, and monks, and yeah. it's um, it's not made up. I mean, it's you know, it's firmly planted on this real tradition. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not it's not a, like a built uh, theological world.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but what I mean is like, yeah, and same thing, C.S. Lewis, when he does science fiction, it's clearly theological. Yeah, right? yeah. And James Bliss, The Case of Conscience, uh, which uh, obviously is uh, will echo behind this for some some readers, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Ursula Le Guin stuff's obviously anthropological, and so her religious ideas are Taoist or sort of post Christian kind of—they're obviously there, right? So they're—they're—it's mm-hmm. right—it's right straight on. What I mean is like that whole, like I think of the great writers in America that I like Flannery O'Connor, Frederick Buechner, and Marilyn Robinson—the great realistic writers—and all of them, the, the religion's right at the front, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but like Tolkien says, it's a, this. The uh, Lord of the Rings is clearly a Catholic book, a Christian, specifically a Catholic book. Mm-hmm. But you would have, tr- I think you would have trouble if you're just a 12 year old reading. Not it. obvious. Oh, well, obviously, this is, you know, if you didn't, if you're either, if you weren't either like really Catholic or anti Catholic, you probably wouldn't notice. So what's the, yeah, so, but I don't know that in science fiction. I think science fiction takes up with a, a kind of a materialist understanding of the world as the base and that authors like, um like maria dory mary Mary doria russell um you know the the james bliss like authors that c.s lewis are striking out against a materialist or atheist presumption it's not i don't mean hardcore atheists i just simply mean a presumption that the universe is runs like a machine or like a Mm -hmm. rather than an art project or
0: something natural as opposed to supernatural
1: yeah 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 yeah. i once we start talking stuff like I, i keep wanting to be careful about definitions i guess i'd, I'd rather be reckless and imprecise <laughs> today a...
0: i'm good with that we're not being cited yeah. we're not being yeah
1: whereas there's quite a i think a number of fantasy authors who are christian or other religions that kind of embed their worlds or you know right
2: them yeah up. there seems like there's you can more kind of safely presume that it's i mean like what c.s lewis said about Um, You know, if you're going to create a secondary world that's believable, then you, you know, fantasy writers, at least in his era, were drawing on the only other secondary world we know of, and that's the world of spirit. And so it kind of follows that you can kind of sense that world, especially if you're looking for it, you can sense that world underneath. I mean, even up to, you know, Harry Potter. Mm. Um, and. And although I think we're, you know, we're getting a little beyond that now with, uh, with fantasy works, but, um, but yeah, yeah, science fiction is a little bit different. Um, I was very drawn to Ray Bradbury's stories when mm-hmm. we did the science fiction part one class with Signum, because there's a lot of strong theological assertions. And, and again, that, that um, opposition of the material, you know, the natural world, um, and that world beyond that we can't really understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Always fascinating to me.
1: Do his Ray Bradbury is like, or do his um, stories tend to leave open? They seem to leave open a little space for the numinous. Do they leave a space for the supernatural or do you know what I mean? Like, is God God possible in Ray Bradbury's worlds?
2: Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, if you read the, uh, I can't remember the name of the story, but it's in the Martian Chronicles. It's in a couple of different uh, editions of his. It's mm-hmm. the uh, something about the lanterns, you know, where he encounters these beings of light. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And it's these Anglican priests that go or brothers and they go and they're going to preach the gospel to these, to these beings that they have found out about. And then they, they end up being, you know, converted by these beings, you know, basically like these beings show them such sort of, you know, numinous, you know, mysterious kindness and benevolence that they're in awe and they're, mm. you know, they realize <laughs> there's no need for evangelization here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but.
1: Right. Like with Arthur Z. Clark sort of from the same era, but I mean, I mean, maybe the highest profile writer of the, of that era, of um, any era, he, you know, like in 9 billion names of God, right? Okay, so, so so clearly that's just the Buddhist story, right? Or something like that. Or the Buddhists have discovered something natural that the story reveals. But like childhood's end doesn't seem to me that the Christian worldview could possibly be true within the child childhood's end, which is a story about, uh, you know, an alien species coming, observing, and then assuming all all of earth basically, or that's their intention. So I won't tell the whole story, but you know, it's not like it closes it closes the door. I think on the, the Christian story as, as more than a valuable myth of, of historical um, development or something like that. Right. So, so yeah. So I was curious, I don't feel Ray Bradbury very often closing the door, but I don't have the whole catalog in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Intriguing. Yeah. Does, so Mary Doria Russell, this book was a complete surprise to me. So this is the Sparrow. I had to get the copy from the library and we had to order it. So it wasn't even in our city our our biggest. Oh, wow. Brand. So they had to, they, they brought it from another branch from like, I don't know, sitting out in the countryside somewhere, uh, always being used. Perhaps it turns out my brother-in-law has um, this one, and is it the Children of God? The, mm-hmm. sp- God the yeah, sequel, yeah, I
2: have that as well. I haven't read it yet. I'm yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah, and so apparently he
1: has it. both. He's like, I just like the title and the cover design, so I bought them. <laughs> it's like it's great. He's uh, my my nephew or my son has two nerd uncles, like Star Trek lover, um, Star Wars lover, nerd uncles, right? And one's a like a pastor and sort of a hipster and like community connected and sort of understands like what's happening in culture and the foodie and a wine guy and all that kind of stuff. And the other guys, like an electrician, uh <laughs> you know like he probably would train dogs for a living for the rest of his life or something right so like they're just so different but they're they're great they're both very um vocal about stuff so he, he he wanted to really talk about the book it's a book that drives you to want to talk about it but i i had never i had never heard of it uh so am i was i missing something uh to not know about this book or has this been a sleeper book uh, for this generation
0: i didn't know about it either it was on my shelf. My wife had it. Um, She had read it. Okay. It's apparently won a lot of awards, but I'm always surprised the things that I don't know about. Like I just, (laughs) I I just discovered Lizzo was a thing about a year ago. So like, I'm not always up on the, on on what the kids are uh, understanding, but yeah, this was, this book kind of came out of left field for me and I really enjoyed it. Like it's, it Mm. engaged in a way that, I just, yeah, I I just wanted to talk about it. I just wanted to, I was so looking forward to this conversation because this book sparked ideas, um, Mm. wrestled with things. um, The implications, some of them, I think, go beyond where the text goes. Like, she doesn't quite develop them as much as I would have liked. But wow, this was good.
1: Let's walk through that. But Emily, you knew, but you brought the book to us. And so- Mm -hmm. You, as,
2: uh, I, yeah, as with all the cool things, I know I learned. I'm sure at Signum, from yeah, um, Sturgis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, and and people know, you know, Signum people who know me know my interests too, and so they're constantly like, oh, check this out, you know. So so I really appreciate that. So please, if you <laughs> if you know of something you think I'd like, please present it to me. I always assume I don't know about a lot of cool stuff just because I feel like I got started with all this really late in life. Um, and so yeah so i'm always just thrilled like when i find stuff like i've got case of conscious on my on my uh in my to read stack but i haven't Mm. read it yet and the arthur c clark stories you're talking about i I have not read those yet i can't wait i'm excited i feel like i (laughs) i i've you know i'm I'm starting to see where my phd will happen if it ever happens is is it's going to be this this link between uh science fiction and fantasy and speculative fiction in general and um religion because it's it is really an interesting place for those for those conversations to happen
1: you should pick up where margaret atwood left off she started her speculative fiction or she started a phd in what we would now call speculative fiction or or fantastic fiction so tolkien and lewis and a few others so like Mm. er edison and stuff so that's what she was playing with and she just didn't she didn't finish it she, she wrote stuff some have heard about Margaret Atwood so the um, but yeah no that's a yeah go for it
2: you can do, <laughs> do it. it we'll see do it, do it. I'm busy <laughs> right now but
1: yeah well that that happens actually the busyness happens uh, I mean it is a beautiful book design I don't know if people this is the do you guys have like a Oh, I
2: have a different one. Oh, oh yeah I have the same one as we have
0: phone. the the 20th century. Uh, yeah. sorry the 20th anniversary edition 20th anniversary
1: and this
2: the s- better. stars are really cool because they look like the kind of stars you see painted on the ceiling of of uh you know a basilica style um, yeah, sure you know sanctuary yeah. space um yeah, and sense. yet they're clearly the heavens right mm-hmm. mm. bringing these things together yeah and i was intrigued by the title i i, I would love us to talk about the title and mm. and how it bears upon the whole story because i was looking up you know, the scripture that is referenced by it. And, you know, it's not super conclusive. It's not super, ob- as all, as with all things in this book, it's not a super obvious, like smack you in the face sort of reference. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. Do you want me to read the scripture that it refers sure. to? Okay, because I marked it here. So I think the clearest one is Luke, is from Luke. There's also a corresponding passage in Matthew, but this is in Luke chapter 12, Verse 4, and Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Wow. Yeah.
1: I did not put it in context in my head with the, the that's a, that's a tr- tremendously effective reading of, of the core theme of this book.
0: Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Right. Wonder, D- don't let- fear to lo- lose the body, fear to lose the soul.
1: Yeah. So let's back. Let's actually back up a bit. So this is. So in one sense, it's a space journey to another intelligent species. First encounter story, right? Yeah. So
0: that's fairly standard.
1: That's one thread. Uh, They land in a particular community on a globe, recognizing it's local, um, and uh, is. I don't know if this is saying too much, but realizing uh, maybe a little too late how local the place is that they've landed. Right. I think is yeah, a that's a way fair. of because I don't I we we need to talk about the book, but I don't want to ruin yes. it for somebody because anybody can like press pause and, and yes. just yes. go and read, go the book. read it. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. My my local library system will have it for you. Or
0: <laughs> if you're uh, in uh, Prince uh, Edward Island, Bretton has right a <laughs> book Michael, Michael's
1: wife has a copy. So <laughs> the uh, is, and, and Amy Sturgis's students throughout the world will have yes. a copy for you. So so that's like one thread. But what's really kind of interesting about this book is how complex the writing of it is. The other thread is we already know that in some ways this is a failed adventure mm-hmm. because one of the priests on the first encounter journey is basically is sort of on trial. He's like he's it's not it's a little t trial. It's a um, he's called to testify to the events for what there, which there are only spotty records.
0: Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: So we know that almost the, almost immediately in the book, we know that something has failed and catastrophically in the mission. So you find that out within 30 pages of the book. It's, yeah, 20.
2: it's part of the frame of yeah. the story. And the frame. I find the frame very effective in terms of, you know, it's very, it's salacious what's being referred to in terms of the way he was yeah. discovered, you know, and, yeah. and rescued. And so you're intrigued by that. He's got some injuries that are uh, grotesque, yeah. you know. And uh, and not even fully described. They're they're kind of vague. They're left vague, and so you can your mind can kind of stitch together the horrors of them, um, mm-hmm. and even maybe push them beyond you know what's mm-hmm. intended. Yeah. So it's a yeah, it's a very intriguing frame. I found yeah.
0: this. I found the structure so interesting. Um, you know, somebody who has studied narrative for so long, in the hands of a lesser writer, this kind of broken frame, uh, b- broken timeline. Might not work, um, you know. We know that we know that the crew is dead by by about page thirty, um, and then so everything else is then filling in, and we kind of go back. Um, but I found the way she did it to be thoroughly engaging. Um, just dropping in little hints, referring to Sandoz as a whore, for example, mm-hmm. her word, not mine. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like, wait, what? What like wh- what? What happened? Um, and it's gradually revealed but it it could be anticlimactic um if she wasn't a better writer yeah. uh, that well, you know, it, oh everyone's yeah. dead you know.
1: and and that but that's the question about what a book is about and i mm-hmm. think I think that's what makes i like this is a book that I think wouldn't have been invented if television or movies hadn't been invented first. I think the way that she multi uh she has the two threads that are going back and forth in time like I don't know. 20 it starts about now basically the 20 teens they they mm-hmm. they send a mission to um to this planet uh so you have to have,
2: or something. Right? Yeah.
1: and so sorry i didn't have something in my throat that was the other planet um it's and 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 peculiarly it's a group of jesuit Scientists and and scholars and pastors, with a a a couple of other people who have been working in in connected to the to this
2: Jesuit adjacent.
1: Yeah, Jesuit adjacent, including like a a Sephardic Jewish uh, woman, right? So an AI specialist, Mm -hmm. and so and they go and first contact without telling the UN, without telling anybody, by getting a off market. like, asteroid. like a space rock, <laughs> ship, right? Right. So getting an off market asteroid. So this is a future place where asteroids are being mined for materials, but the bottom fell to the market. So they can buy like asteroids, like for a, t- a cheap rate. Now it's probably still bill- billion dollars or something, but like it's Jesuit cheap, right? They're pretty- I have
0: to admit <laughs> laughing out loud when they talked about spuds in space, like Spud- it looks like a big potato. <laughs> does look like I a thought big- that was so funny.
1: Yeah. And, and that's how she kind of deals with some of the unreal. Like if something's like almost too un- unreal, like she deals with it by kind of mocking it just a little bit.
2: Right. right. So yeah. Like, right. Yeah. So As you would.
1: Yeah. 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 It's actually a pretty effect. And so then the, did I understand it right? So the asteroid ship picks up speed. Yes. Once they've got, they picks up speed, takes a, a month or a year to get up to speed, but then get up to something that's n- near light speed. So they can cover the distance and not age. Yes. And 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 yeah. thus, so they don't have to bring generations of people. They just have mm-hmm. to um, bring themselves. And so, um, and that's how the one character, Sandoz, uh, the, the Jesuit priest, Amelia Sandoz, who, who arrives back on earth, this damage that Emily talked about uh-huh. to, to stand before uh, his uh, brothers, actually, uh, to, because it's a yeah. Jesuit mission. He stands before the... the People who were above the Jesuit mission leaders, so, so yeah, that's a pretty peculiar um, setup to to a yeah. book, right? So.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, and
0: and so interesting because I mean, she contrasts the the Jesuit missions to North America as as mm. being you know kind of the beginnings of this this kind of work. Um, the, there are references to those early uh, explorations by Jesuits, uh, and then just putting it into space, and it. I mean, in, in some ways, it goes just as well um, as those historical explorations. Some um, of them, yeah, some of them. Yeah,
2: in some cases, better. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, sorry, dark humor. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and that's the that is the interesting thing. I I don't. Um, I didn't go to any Jesuit um, institutions, but my sister did. My sister actually went to John Carroll, where part of the book is set, and my brothers went to a Jesuit high school um, in Cincinnati. And uh, as soon as I heard the premise of the book, that we're talking about Jesuits in space, I was like, <laughs> "Sign me up!" Because that is so consistent. It's one of those things where you know some books are are kind of focused on a subculture, and the more you know about that subculture, the worse the book is because it doesn't it doesn't really do it well. Yeah. It's the exact opposite with this book. As soon as I started digging into it, I was like, oh, my gosh, she knows people in religious orders. You know, she is she is one of these, you know, uh, religious order adjacent people who Mm. has studied the culture and who understands that these are actually real people. They all have very distinctive personalities. She doesn't do this gloss of like, you know, um, these these cleric tropes, you know, that you find in a lot of fiction. They're all extremely realistic um, people. And and even the people that surround them are are very realistic characters, and and it's like I mean I hate to even say this, but it's it's like science fiction being written by a realistic fiction author because she does seem right. to to have gone on to only write historical fiction, mm-hmm. uh, historical realistic fiction after these books, and and it's it's it, it is really kind of refreshing to read the style, um, you know, even even if some of the base elements and in in the, the science fiction-y elements, you have to sort of squint around them, you know, and she deals with it, like you said, with humor um, to kind of gloss over them. And it's left a bit vague. Um, it's, it's just still so refreshing to, to really feel like that this is, uh, if you know anything at all about the Jesuits and their history, which is a history of, of dangerous exploration mm-hmm. um, for the sake of, you know, uh, extending the reach of the gospel, this is utterly realistic in a science fiction context
1: yeah i and and that's actually it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting thing for the book so i wince when religious characters come up in contemporary fiction you just should know like i just so i i think of religion um for for people that are committed to their faith it's as intimate and interconnected to their lives and to their community as the the kinds of questions we're asking today about culture, gender, race, things like this. I don't think it's as implicated as all those. I don't think it's like an ideology that one just picks up or something like that. No, it is for some people. Um, And if I were writing say about a Canadian First Nations um, person, so like an Indigenous person, I would never do that without kind of drawing Someone from that community in, and making sure the the character is landed, making sure the the threads work, making sure there's there's not weird kind of comment stereotypes, often probably over loving stereotypes for some groups and kind of negative ones for other groups, and and I I wish that writers would do that with religious figures that yeah. are prominent in their books.
0: Well, that, that level of cultural sensitivity, um, and I think I think Emily, you're right. Like the way in which these these religious figures are drawn as somebody who knows brothers, um, and, and sisters in different orders, mm. they're all individuals. <laughs> they have different perspectives. So, mm. I mean, in this world, we have DW, the former Marine who, you know, is like no nonsense kind of authoritarian has some interesting, uh, quirks in his personality that are revealed later on, but you know that's him, and then Emilio is 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 another, and Mark, the the French Canadian, is different as well. Mm. They each I love have. Him. I yeah. knew a guy
2: just like him in the Mariness. <laughs> yeah. Knew a just like him. I was like, oh, Father Francois, there you are.
1: <laughs> it's not just Mark. It's Marc. right? right. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, It's yes. that from certain-
2: Montreal
1: yeah yes. of course yeah and i think i think actually she if she's in danger of stereotypes she's in danger of like localisms so like a boston accent or chicago
2: accent mm-hmm. like a yeah. southern the southern guy yeah, yeah. yeah. but she gets yeah. around
0: it with with um yeah. making making other characters do accents and you know kind of make fun of it a little bit yeah that's okay. right and she in, does in, get around in there. various
1: languages right like yeah. street gutter spanish at one point The is it the father superior or no it's yeah there's who's the other person that grew up in it is it Felipe? uh
0: philippe uh philippe who shows up kind of late in the yeah in the that,
1: he, he was a little harder for me to i i, I kind of didn't need another priest just at that point <laughs> uh and so like raise and and yeah. Yeah, i are, also
0: <laughs> have editing notes that yeah I'm that's right there
1: but they're arguing back and forth in gutter spanish it like Whereas I, I presume that the the conversation had been Latin up to that moment or something. Uh, actually, I don't know. Is the Inquisition Little I, Inquisition in Latin or in English or in French or in like? Uh,
0: the, I don't know if it's
1: ever. Would have to be Latin, right? Wouldn't it? Well,
2: you still... mean like the, the like when he's like he's actual...
1: testifying? He, what language is he testifying in?
2: Oh, never, are we ever? He told? says in, in the beginning he says that he prefers to. Yeah, Sandoz prefers yeah. to maintain English because but that's
1: with Candati, like when I think John Candati mm-hmm. is a priest from Chicago, right, who like oddly is empathetic and like he's a recovery priest, like helps people mm-hmm. recover yeah. from things, basically, a confessional priest or something. And and with him he wanted to speak a language, whatever, right. <laughs>
2: just right. a yeah. Language yeah, and just that yeah. language. And the, the actual con- trial. Yeah, and the context
1: yeah. is that Sandoz can speak. A dozen or more languages right mm-hmm. um, and and learns them really quickly and and plays the role of you know sort of the philologist stranger and mm-hmm. a lot of sci-fi but does it with a lot of sp- specific detail and highly effectively um, mm-hmm. with the translation team so um him not wanting to speak multiple languages and he gets back to earth is actually part of that brokenness mm-hmm. that he brings with right
0: him. Or occasionally, it happens at least three times, I think, where he's at a loss for words. Um, yeah. At least once or twice, uh, she draws attention to the person who can speak 12 languages is at a loss for words. Yeah, that's But right. it works well, but she doesn't, because she doesn't overuse it. Um, right. I don't know if it ever actually says what language the Inquisition is in. Um, yeah. Ha- I, in There's
2: 2016, a lot of Italian over there yeah, well, in Italy. B- but yeah. then, is it
1: is it what would well? condotti sounds like an Italian American name, but would yeah. like, you presume that you presu- like it wouldn't be Spanish? It wouldn't be French. It would have to be English or la- Latin or Italian. Assume, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, so the the Jesuits have moved on a bit from two thousand. So sixty years. So it's twenty sixty is when we get most of what what's happening in the Jesuits inside, and they've moved on quite a bit because it's really tough to find priests and. But there's been a lot of learning about past issues in uh, the Jesuits in that 2060 community largely seem like they want to appreciate that. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: they want to, to Is that, am I reading that right? That there's a sense of maturing that's happened in the Jesuits. They're still smart. They're still at the front of the game of things. But this the, the 2019 mission to Rakat was really about kind of throwing forward for a whole new Sense of things, right? Is did I read? Did I read that, that right? That
0: that's wrote? kind of how I read it. That, that yeah. it kind of affected the the order in some ways. Mm. Yeah, and I so- was curious what you, what you both made of this. So the, the 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 there are two timelines of as we have said. There's the present day, which is 2060, in which uh, Sandoz comes back and mm. is kind of on trial, and then it flashes back or goes back in to uh, about a year ago from our current timeline, 2019, she wrote the book over 20 years ago. So that would have been the future for her. But now Mm -hmm. we're in the, is there a space 1990, 1999 problem with this? Like where we don't actually have asteroids that fly to other planets. Um, That's our fault though. (laughs) Like,
2: (laughs) You know, been slacking.
0: <laughs> I I appreciate her putting it in the reach of her own future. Yeah. For some of that stuff, but now that we've come to that age and we're not as advanced, you know, I'm disappointed we don't have flying cars.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is that gonna is that gonna negatively impact the overall effectiveness of this book going forward?
1: No, I don't think so, because I think like once it's in the past, like they just people will forget about the timeline. Like I don't think they. Like, it's all going to be some other future. Okay. You could change the dates of the book and it wouldn't make Yeah, it be yeah. Different. Except for whether the Cubs win or not. That's still pretty highly unlikely over the next 40 years. Sorry. I just There's a lot of baseball references. And I don't know. Well,
0: co- <laughs> I, I, we could have a whole conversation about her pop culture references. Like the references mm. to, um, to the Princess Bride and Star Trek. And yeah. she throws these in. And again, really smart because she places it within, you know, 20 years her future yeah. um where people would still have those those references D- did they take anything away from the book for you like
1: well she should have put harry potter in like i mean <laughs> she should know it's not yet as far as <laughs> right. what's that sorry it wasn't out yet yeah uh,
2: 1996, 1996 was when this was published right was it i thought it was 99. 97 is harry potter
1: yeah no she couldn't have known like here's your she- her problem yeah I, I don't know like yeah I, th- I think I think she'd I think pop cult like yeah if you're going to be relevant you're going to mm-hmm. be relevant for a much narrower band of time and po- like that's the like uh, station um ready uh ready player one yes its entire relevance is that it's rooted to a past age, right so it's pop culture savvy is rooted in the 1980s mm-hmm. it has a cachet that actually i think actually that book helped build the cachet for the decade that mm. followed but certainly was re- ready for that right and mm. that's what made it cool right or that's one of the coolness factors of that um kind of pretty limited book. so the uh, but pretty interesting book so yeah i think that's always going to be a it's always going to be a factor if you play a song like unless it's like it has become iconic right yeah. so i can name if we looked at the top 180s songs you know we probably would only be spinning 10 of them in our head at any, at any given week right uh-huh. but if i say like total clips of the heart or something mm-hmm. that that probably will be around in 2060 especially if the video um you know with the like the weird creepy people with the bright eyes if that's still there that then... so there's certain things that kind of move forward and certain things that that don't right yeah
0: well in in the book um oh it's the, it's the one guy in on the mission who dies first Who they just may as well have called red shirt, um, plays the, plays the music. And it's, it's not, it's not Beethoven. It's Van Halen. It's like, yeah. Okay.
1: I didn't actually write his name down.
0: My no, he's so. the, he's the question mark on my notes. Yeah. <laughs> question, I have a Mark, mark but...
2: Allen. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I think I, it might be. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I'm relying on <laughs> a read from a few years ago for, <laughs> for much of the book, but
1: yeah like it does lack that effectiveness of like pop culture and timelines and stuff i would have made it less specific as it Mm -hmm. turns out Hmm. what we know sort of 20 years later is that there are little things that make drawing a trajectory to the future difficult so right now if we could figure out how to make batteries small and light Mm -hmm. that would be like a complete tech frame reframe for our whole culture right Right, we could just figure that out like so that the environmental damage of batteries Uh, was less the cost was lower or more efficient and the um and that the 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 battery itself doesn't make part of the problem of whatever we're trying to fix right that we're stuck like Mm -hmm. we can't have flying cars because batteries don't work that way and we can't put like diesel engines in a flying car so like the the these little tiny things that were kind of nipped like that that bend our tech to the center that makes drawing drawing the trajectory forward really Really, kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know how to get past that. So yeah, so mm. that, um, yeah.
0: And this is the problem with with this is the the challenge of speculative fiction is like, what do you do? You, I don't think there's any escapist proper escapist literature like people think. Uh, it it all has relevancy to to the culture in which it's written, connections with the audience, puts it on a new uh, a new frame that people can deal with. But how do you do that in a way that is both relevant, draws connections for people that to me, it was the one part of the book. I was kind of like, Oh, this, this grounds it in something that doesn't quite fit with everything else that she's grounding in references to the, the princess bride and, and star Trek versus uh, the the, the, references to historical Jesuit missionary trips and things like that, which kind of have more weight Heft. Um, heft. heft yeah I think that's a good word yeah,
2: yeah I, was, see, I was so busy being blown away by an actually realistic depiction of a members of a religious order that I'd never in my life read yeah. <laughs> in any still kind com- of fiction <laughs> setting
1: no no like it's like I, I didn't notice any of that you know it's like it's like everybody's still stuck in Chaucer's stereotypes right like so we're talking it's really 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 hard to find authentic religious characters it's just Mm -hmm. like and i don't like i mean even like i don't know um like like the kite runner you know so a muslim book right Mm -hmm. and the characters are i mean they're real to the story but but it's it's it they're pretty like they're who's walking around with just like an authentically with the best possible view of what a muslim faith would be right or something like that and it's just not like it's just like our north american writing doesn't produce it like Mm -hmm. it's really um and so that's why you get the um you know uh uh it, it takes some it takes some sort of jump to kind of get there so like frederick buechner does it by authentic hypocrisy right like that's his his he creates these beautiful little hypocrites um you know these beautiful flawed characters that are just real and. um what I loved about this book was like, if you're, I guess I didn't think too much about the technology of it. I just kind of said, okay, well, whatever, right? Like, that's enough to get us to Mars. So that's fine, right? Like, it's cool. The implications of time are cooler than the structure she uses to create those implications. And that's, and she lets those surface. What drew me was we have real characters. Mm-hmm. And like at one point I had to put the book down. Cause like I knew bad stuff was going to happen to these characters. I just didn't want to read it. Even though I already knew the bad stuff happened. Like, yeah, well,
2: it's like rogue one. You're yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I don't want to stop loving you yet.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, whereas some people were like, yeah, no, let's, let's kill them all. So like, <laughs> the, uh, like, um, Anne, so Anne is such a great character. So she's oh. the woman everybody falls in love with. Right. Yes so but she's older and i love that and has intellectual capacity Uh, she's maternal but not maternalistic Mm -hmm. she's maternal and professional like it's all the sexual she's Mm -hmm. sexual yeah uh uh, but thoughtful about it Mm -hmm. right like is this you know um she's supporting jimmy is he son or is he love her like she creates these kind of categories and works them through she's skeptical religiously skeptical and humorous about it
2: Mm -hmm. right and yet not dismissive but yeah but there's
1: certainly i don't think there's a growth in george's character her husband um but he's just solid i think Mm -hmm. there's yeah he's just solid out but like there's certainly growth in her um i think there's a growth in her faith journey in this book if i don't know if faith journey is the right thing to say but like there's a growth in in the way that she relates to to god and and others uh religiously mm-hmm. through the book um so yeah so like that's a real character so this is a living human breathing like all the things that american literature wants to squash into little boxes motherhood science <laughs> nice. sciencey people mm-hmm. uh religious or anti-religious people like like she, uh, Maria Russell, Russell, lets live uh, mm-hmm. for us.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think Sophia might be my favorite character. Sophia, yeah, just, just straight great. up, like. Um, so this is, so our,
1: complicated. this is our our Jewish Sephardic yeah. Jewish, uh, who is Turkish an
2: indentured servant.
0: Indentured she's an indentured servant, servant. Yeah. who yeah. comes out of prostitution. Uh, yeah. She loses all of her family. Which the, the the connections between her and Sandoz, who and gets labeled and where he ends up, yeah. but the book never actually deals with the the relationship. There's also occasional mentions of Mary Magdalene who has been figured as a prostitute in, yeah. in some readings. Right, yeah. um, but and, and never, wrongly, but, in, wrongly, in wrongly in other yeah. readings, yeah. yeah. And, and she never, but the the, the book never, never teases that out explicitly, just kind of draws that out. Sophia is a character who comes out of that, who, um, Finds a relationship with Jimmy, um, although it's 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 kind of characterized as Sandow's uh, stepping Substitute. away and, yeah. and, and, and giving giving his blessing, mm-hmm. even though that suggests lack of agency on her part. That does not warrant her character's um, or something her character her character does not seem to ever want uh, or would put up with. But then she's also pregnant. She is the person who leads the revolt. Um, on the other world by standing up and saying we are many they are few
1: but her character
0: wonderfully drawn out character
1: i'd love to know emily do you think like does does like so i love the sophia character absolutely i felt like narrator so narrator one narrator two so the 2016 narrator the 2020s narrator basically the late teens 20s so the trip and then the early years of the trip right which which happens quickly because of time Mm -hmm. in in their in their mode of thinking. So, narrator. So the 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 inquisitorial narrator never gets to those sorts of things. Like we we know more than what happens at the the board of uh, right Mm -hmm. right. But the narrator one. Did I say a or one? And narrator (laughs) two. Like so, the twenties narrator. The the in the moment of the. of discovery and encounter of other worlds, that narrator lets Sophia slip, I think, in the second half of the book, or in the third third of the book, I think. And I, I mean that because like we have her internal workings of of thinking about herself and thinking about all these people and what she, all this assessment and then a kind of sense, well, yeah, like I think this must be well, she says this a lot, this must be kind of what God is doing, even though I don't really believe that i you know i think it is right but we don't we don't have like really her internal workings on falling in love except i want to be honest right, right. be honest with yourself so that's the see i'm gonna be on i'm not gonna i'm not gonna build up walls and there's a gap i feel like there's a gap there and i did i miss the gap so i'd like emily i'd like to know your kind of thought about moving like just what M- michael said so the moving from uh there's a there's a point where Sandos and Sophia could have had an affair.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Because they there's a love and appreciation for one
2: another. And
0: there's a lot of talk about what celibacy means and doesn't yes. mean yeah.
1: from
2: the very beginning. That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think I think that's actually important to the book. And so I think okay. it's important that Sandos chooses celibacy. So like I think um it's because now he's he's not choosing Sophia. So that's interesting, but still from that frame. After that, I just don't know wh- how she gets to, um, you know, to being a mom, really.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that I, from what I've seen in the narrative, and again, I, I was able, yeah, it's been a while since I've read the entire novel, and I've been reviewing it, but not in its entirety. She She makes the clear choice to, he's not choosing celibacy, he's choosing God. He's choosing his relationship with God, yeah, which presumes, you know, presumes celibacy, and and it's and it's interesting because you know I've heard people in religious orders talk about celibacy, and it's you know they treat it at their first dinner party when he goes over to Anne and George's house for the first time, Sandos, mm-hmm. and you know they joke around about celibacy a lot, and there there is some of that that happens, but but you know when you get onto a real level with people who have made that choice, you know it's a very spiritual choice, and they and they obviously. Uh, um, and it's a very hopeful choice, you know, it's, it's a choice about, you know, if, if I'm willing to sacrifice this thing, you know, mm. that's like the only human way, you know, the only, you know, benevolent way to pursue immortality, you know, is through sexual relations and creating life, you know, that memor- memorializes you in some way. Mm. Um, then, then I have to have a pretty good hope of the, the, reward and not to say I'm just doing it for a reward but but some kind of state um, of holiness that I can attain you know through this but um so I don't know I, I think there's a little bit of a beauty in the fact that they don't have an affair and that they don't yeah. get together and that they don't they don't just decide to he doesn't just decide to sort of eschew his his mariness. Oh, sorry sorry Marianus. <laughs> I'm used to mariness his <laughs> Jesuit uh, his Jesuit vows. You know, in the face of being far away, and you know, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so so I th- and and the fact that she's able to sort of transfer her affections and and maybe what she needs. But again, you're right; it's cagey. I, I I was I was interested to hear you talk about the narrator one and narrator two because I noticed from the very start. I was just thinking this is the same narrator, but at the same time, I think you're right. It's, it's weird to have an omniscient narrator and and we get this sort of kind of selectively omniscient narrator and I think uh-huh. that's more effective than if we only had Sandos's perspective in you know and then everybody around Sandos in the other in the other time frame yeah. um, but this is a really uh, winding way to say you know <laughs> when he and when he and uh, Anne Sandos and Anne go out on a walk after their one of their dinner parties and mm-hmm. he tells her about Sophia. And he doesn't say, I have feelings for her. He doesn't. But Anne is inferring all this. And she's saying, well, you know, and she says something about marriage to George for 40 years. And she says, you know, you can't, you know, there's, you can't get through 40 years without having a few distractions, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's about what you do with those rather than, you know, um, and she's even kind of encouraging him and saying, you know, maybe God will love you more if you go off and do what you feel like doing and then come back with a whole heart you know um but it's it's kind of beautiful in that he doesn't do that he his devotion to god is really beautiful and it's and it's this book is so um it it has two different messages that really i don't know that they absolutely conflict but on you know he's on a mountaintop you know when they first encounter the alien species you know that they kind of settle down with he is on an absolute mountaintop you know experience with god and everything is so beautiful whereas in the beginning and in the end there's this sense of having been tricked and having been you know pl- having a joke played on you by god and having becoming this fool in this in this horrible sense and i think that his maintaining his celibacy and her kind of working out a way for her to express her feelings you know with somebody who's available um is sort of a testament again to his the purity of his heart um and that's being you know uh compared and contrasted with with what happens in in the frame you know with what's what's going on in the frame so i don't know i that's probably not an answer to your question at all but and what i love to it is they never
0: res- she never resolves that tension between those two points of view right at the end of the novel it suggests some kind of stability in his perspective but it never explicitly gets there. Let's talk about this.
1: Okay, so I think, <laughs> I think, I think this is the, the intriguing contrast that we saw in the scripture that you read from Luke, Hemley. So, okay, what we mean without telling the whole story is that, But so I think they, they resolve in this way, is that what we have as a character who reaches this pinnacle of religious experience, um, I, I think this is the only book I've ever read that gives a consideration of celibacy in a uh, positive way, like in a real, in a truly integrative kind of, this is not just because I made a promise even, right. Which is I think a frame for that generation. Or so, because sex is bad. Or because sex is bad or anything like that. It, or it, that
0: it's the only choice. Yeah. Right. It's, right. you yeah. know, it's, it's explained in the book that there are, you know, it's a, it's a comp it's a gray area um, in some respects
1: yeah but like i think the there's a there's there's an inherent um everything builds towards the pinnacle of religious experience for sandos and for like he's a saint like we should be viewing him as mother Teresa or one of those if we have any imagination of saints it's a real character right but a real person really kind of reaching a kind of numinous mystical height okay so you you have to like so it's an authentic choice for him to work through feelings for this dynamic intelligent woman Sophie Sophia, and then to move through that. Okay, so that all works. It has it has to be real in order for the the key problem of the text to be there, right? You can't. So what was that? Uh, what was that like book? Oh, the Amer- is it Australian or American? The Catholic. To um, such a popular thing, there was a big, long, ten-hour miniseries about it, and like he's moving his way towards being pope, and then, but at the same time, he's having these affairs, and anyway, it's it's oh, I that one, Thank yeah. God. Anyway, it's it's uh, a <laughs> I've it lost, pope. I've lost it. Yeah, no. Anyway, he's <laughs> like he's got this great kind of uh, front personality, but gets kind of lost religiously in some ways, and is upset when he's he's passed over as pope, uh, and because um, like angry, right? Like fleshly anger, uh, and 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 there's kind of a relief in the, the th- anyway. It's almost it's almost um, it's on the tip of my tongue. There's none of that. Like you can't like for this to work for the and the and the thing is something happens to the the most spiritual person ever. That causes him to, to not just doubt, but to completely turn against the God who has given him this great experience, this connectedness, um, and to turn with anger and disgust and fear and self-loathing. Okay, so this is you know this is the Dalai Lama, you know, taking up a tank and going into Beijing. Right? like you need to right. f- it's, you, like readers have to find some contrast that, that will work for them on that right this is mm-hmm. the so that's I think where the tensions work really really mm-hmm. well
2: um, yeah can I, can I read a little bit from the beginning I've really appreciated rereading some of the beginning of this book because I feel like it latches really well mm-hmm. with the ending um, I'm on page 59 of this edition um, and Sandoz asks uh, can Dottie Do you experience god and this is this is in the you know um 2060 frame Mm. do you experience god sandoz asked him without preamble and you know it makes candati feel uncomfortable um, because he talks about how jesuits are sort of the 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 you know academics uh the mind oriented uh you know not like the carmelites or the trappists he says not directly not as a friend or a personality i suppose Not, I think, even in a tiny whispering sound. And he watched the flames for a while. I would have to say that I find God in serving his children. And then he goes on to quote the gospel. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, et cetera. And it says, the words lingered in the air as the fire popped and hissed softly. Sandoz had stopped pacing and stood motionless in a far corner of the room, his face in shadows, firelight glittering on the metallic exoskeletons of his hands. He says, don't hope for more than that, John. God will break your heart. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is bleak. That is, is bleak. It? Is it bleak? I mean, it, 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 yeah. I mean, you tell me why you're questioning that.
1: So Augustine, right? Mm-hmm. So Augustine says, um, you know, like he had a friend die and he, he kind of says like, you know, part of his theology is a limitation of love, right? And because there's,, you know, I think Augustine isn't as much worried about being hurt, I think, as implicating someone other than God. But um, it, I, I, could be, I could be wrong. It could be read as Augustine limiting hurt, right? You will be hurt in that kind of sense. That's how CS.. Lewis reads Augustine as, as concerned about being hurt. I'm not sure he's quite right there, but that limitation of love, is an intriguing uh, is an intriguing perspective. I think you have to be unlimited. I think I think that Sandoz ha- like I think you have to be prepared to have your heart broken to to love yeah. truly.
2: I don't know, maybe it's my perspective because I always I, I always tell people like I, I get up in the morning and I forgive my church and then I put my pants on and then I go about my day, you know? And so and my God is for me, God is always there to To mend my heart when it's been broken by human institutions so so i think that that's my that's probably my my read on that is going oh man when god is the one breaking your heart that's you know uh or the one playing the joke on you you know that's a that is a tough a tough message
1: yeah but like that's brokenness through other people right right Mm
2: -hmm. right
1: and through other people who are the god representatives in your world The, the god in flesh folks around you right Right That's not what happens in this book
2: yeah, well, that's true oh, and, then, and and there's a great irony with what happens in the book too, because they go they set out on the journey to Rakat because they they hear this music, yeah, right and they it's like some somebody talk about that who's because i I haven't read that that's not fresh, I don't have that portion fresh in my mind, but they hear this music and they assume that it's like. Right, like divine, like yeah, kind divine. of divine,
1: or at least the height of culture. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. the height
2: of culture, and yeah. it's like it's like a, it's like porn. Yes, you know. It, I'm sorry. I I hope that that's okay. That I just it's high,
1: it's high end <laughs> intergalactic porn, though. To yeah, be,
2: <laughs> to be fair,
0: right. it's yeah. Just right.
1: interstellar. I guess it just be interstellar. Well, so, like, yeah.
0: the, again, yeah. the great irony of the book, right? Like, what draws them there is is the thought that this is going to be something, the height of culture and to find out that it's not and that they've completely misread it is 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 shattering and and not only that but for santos to come back and say like well you probably heard the songs that are about me yeah yeah like that's that's horrifying 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 yeah. and again it's never really reconciled I left the book thinking like, I need to read the sequel because I really need to see where this, where she takes this character next, because it ends with, we're going to go back and we'd like you to come along, uh, because you, you have gifts, um, or at
1: least, or at least teach the crew before they go
0: teach the crew. But I have to, like, I don't know the way I have understood Sandos as a character, yeah he's come to some kind of reconciliation by being able to say it that's not the same as being healed um is he going to be willing to to, to do this again
1: yeah that's a t- this is a tough one for me like so i just finished yesterday <laughs> so <laughs> and so i haven't had the chance to kind of let the book sit and to come back to it my feeling is that there's a breakthrough moment for this character. And there's certainly a breakthrough as a sort of survivor of abuse. There's certainly mm-hmm. that kind of a breakthrough. Uh, and it's really intriguing. So, so I, I picture the the narrator, this narrator A is female and narrator B is male. So I just mm-hmm. like, so that's a, a, probably a problem or maybe an interesting thought experiment about how I read. So narrator A is the, this discovery of things, the setting up of the mission, and the moving to, to the planet, and the early years in the planet, and then the uh, Rakats and then narrator B, the masculine voice in my head is the uh, is the inquisitorial board, and I'm probably mm-hmm. just masculine because it's like all men, right? There's mm-hmm. no yeah. in that in that whole. In fact, even when they describe things that are going on, on around, like the laundry rooms and the the seashores, and so there's no women. I don't think in any of that. Yeah. No. environment so and it's a woman writer we should be it's it's important to kind of note this is a woman writer well this woman writer describes in the masculine voice of my had uh the sir, the abuse survivor um working through the abuse survivor thing that's where that voice comes from and uh, and i don't i don't know i think somebody who's who's had like a, a male who's really had that kind of experience of like sex abuse survival we should really like read this because i don't know like i know that men and women sometimes embody that kind of thing differently Mm -hmm. um but like i don't know yeah and i so i don't know that like having a breakthrough on where you are psychologically is the same as coming back together holistically spiritually so yeah no
0: No, it feels i mean to me not having gone through that um it feels like a step a first step not a not a reconstitution um right so, so if, yeah. you, if you if you haven't
1: read the book and you want to just pause or just mute for a second like <laughs> the bat, like so michael says not having you know been you know repeatedly raped by an alien space <laughs> for the production yes. of art yes on a global level and that's implicated but like all the bad things happening to you are interpreted by this other species mm-hmm. as beauty and, and, um, and art artistry, right? right? So the fear, the, the sound, the screaming, the, mm-hmm. the um, blood, like all that, is, the sweat. All of that is part of the evanescent quality of the thing mm-hmm. until he's used up and kind of moved away, which may say something about the artistic level of the thing. Oh, so that's like that that reality but then there's a there's a second problem or a second thing is that he ends up killing the person who's most dear to him on the entire planet yes right like has has the author gone too far in torturing her characters you know is this a step has, has did she bring things together but didn't do it fully or is the is the character not integrated at the end and and the tension remains I, I don't know I don't have a, a final answer on those sorts of things for myself yeah no.
2: well and and I, I do think if if there is healing for Sandoz and I, I agree that there is some obviously uh-huh. um, even with the hands you know in terms of the different devices that are fabricated for him to help him with the state of his hands which I think is another we probably have a whole nother conversation about what those hands mean and what that's all about Mm -hmm. um and how they're functioning in the story um yeah I uh yeah I lost it because I got I thought about the hands and then everything else went away because there's so much there with the hands yeah so you were talking about like yeah as bad as it gets for him is I think it's we're supposed to understand you know he's come because yeah, well, I think when I was first reading it, I was like, "This is too much. This is this is, this mm-hmm. is unnecessary. This is unnecessary." What's being implied here? And it's interesting because it's mostly just implied. There's very little graphic description. Um, yeah. You know, kind of as what she, similar to what she does between Sandos and Sophia. Uh, you know, romantically, it's all very you know uh, implied, and it doesn't it doesn't come to any sort of graphic physical physical. You know, fruition. Um, yeah, so so I guess the extent of what he goes through is is you know sets up um, his recovery in any sense as a pretty you know miraculous. I guess would be the only word. You know, and and also you know reflects on his his cares. You know, Kandati comes off in a really good light because he's. He's just intensely pastoral. I don't even think it is his job to to help people recover. I think that's just what he has a reputation for, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, which is very, again, very realistic in terms of a of a religious order and the role, the different roles that different people play within it. Um, mm-hmm. Some people are just your go to pastor. You know, you're like if you need somebody with sensitivity, go to this guy.
0: I, I think we just say that there's lots more to talk about. Maybe we we could meet again um and chat again uh if that's if that's interesting to either of you both of you
1: so you're michael you're gonna you said you want to read the children of god the yes. sequel yes to, me to, too. to follow up the character and okay. you want to do that emily
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah well, let's do that let's meet let's read that and meet again and talk but but will that be cheating in this book right like the book is the book right like i want to know the character i i liked emilio yeah. I liked all the characters that she held off in the period of this uh, <laughs> I this text. I know,
0: I know not to get it. I know not to get attached to anybody in the next book. That's yeah. That's
1: right. yeah. Maybe no. yeah. There's the Augustinian. Oh well, yeah. there there it is. I mean, there's all these kind of elegant realities in this book. Is that like you get attached to the characters and then they die, right? Like yeah. there's a spiritual danger, and so my question I I would leave with is is not some like I think the question of whether or not. Sandos's a, a spiritual hole at the end of the book is one thing. Whether he, he's he's he receives forgiveness for the things he done, does wrong, and then receives healing in some small way for what's happened to him. But, um, like, is this a, is this a Catholic writer?
2: She was like, raised Catholic act, and yeah, left yeah, the yeah, church, okay.
1: like, you know, this then, right? Yeah, yeah. right, like, right, yeah. Is this, a, is this a Catholic book?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I that's a really tough question for me.
1: Or a Christian mm. book or something, yeah. It,
2: it definitely, I mean, it's, it, I mean, my answer is always yes, because you can, you know, take the girl out of the wherever, but you can't take the wherever out of the girl, you know, I mean, because you, it does shine <laughs> through. Sorry, I botched that, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> no, sure. um, but it, it does shine through, but the question, it's, it's almost a little bit of a distorted glass, and maybe that's not the right image. Mm-hmm. But it's very realistic because I feel like there's so many people in the same place of having come from this tradition where mm-hmm. you're expected to be so sure about these things. And yet well, your interface with the world has caused you to see things in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's that's far more cynical in you know, yeah, like at one point, you know, when Sandoz and Sophia first meet, they're in this little coffee shop where there's all, all these preppy college kids. And, and they both have the same very cynical take looking around the room at the beautiful children, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Sandoz says he's surprised at his own cynicism, you mm-hmm. know. And yet, and, and, and this is this pure hearted guy who's the, you know, the kind of the Harry Potter of the story, you know, um, in terms of his purity and his, you know, uh, devotion, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a hard. It's a very uncomfortable book. I think for Catholics, probably especially.
1: Yeah, intriguing. Michael is it a Christian
0: book. Is it a Catholic book? <sighs> uh, you said you you hate when when Christian characters are brought up in books. Like I I tend to think that people who have left just the tradition in
1: this, in this generation yeah. or two, like it's just not done well very often. I,
0: I would say maybe. um, I think that when when people who leave the tradition write, they do so with an authenticity and a realism that people who are still in the tradition are often reluctant to do um or to write in. Uh so maybe um
1: yeah. I mean, this is not your typical Amish romance. I'm just saying No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Um and I think that's why I like the book. Um it's kind of like the, 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 film Calvary. If you've, if you've, if you've seen it, like maybe in the hands of somebody outside the tradition of who's left the tradition, sure. it's, it's more real.
1: So that, so that's my, the question I'm kind of leaving us with, like, you know, like I don't, well, I probably am not the right market for Amish romance, Christian romances, but I don't find <laughs> without saying anything negative about any one individual writer. I don't, I think that they're a cheat. It's a yeah. way of not dealing with sexuality right. and culture in this moment by mm-hmm. as you appropriate another culture, that right. where that those those things are protected. So like a first date not going to be an issue, right? So that's something you know. So I find it dishonest writing as a mm-hmm. as a genre. Maybe not in any one book. I mean, but like, do does it take then a, a Mary Doria Russell? Does it take a Martin Scorsese to write Christian fiction or Catholic fiction?
2: Yeah. Um in no. Or a uh, uh, oh my gosh Walter Miller Jr. Walter you know, Miller Jr. C- Canticle and I, I read yeah. uh, his follow up to that which was like
1: nobody's read the follow good for oh, you oh I, I have
2: I have yeah, um, I didn't even know there was, was like a follow up thirty years later yeah <laughs> I have like I
1: have a I have a bootleg PDF of it I think somewhere so yeah
2: well it's fabulous but it it is it's the progression from that at least some semblance of surety. Mm-hmm. To losing that and and there's a cynicism that runs through it that is not present in the in the first in in canticle and yeah. it's it's just a very interesting
1: intriguing uh, I, Jean, I certainly
2: don't like it as well
1: like gene <laughs> you know. Jean wolf like so like w- what I mean is that like in the Catholic tradition it seems like these people on the edges are the the shapers of dynamically religious fiction mm-hmm. um, in the in in the evangelical community, like <laughs> not none at all, but like no, like I think I think you'd be better probably to go to realism than you know, speculative fiction in the Christian in the, the certainly the American evangelical market. Mm-hmm. Mm, intriguing. Well, I yeah. think I think we should allow the second book then to all right. We, we should cheat,
2: right? And we okay. could we could talk about the first one a little bit more. Yeah. At the, you know, at the beginning as a well, segue. I think I think, it, I,
0: think <laughs> <laughs> I think it will naturally lead. Uh, to a, a like a closing conversation as we you know where the next book goes, um, right. that will make sense. So, thank yeah. you very much for for everybody's time. Um, we'll be in touch and uh, we'll come back with the children of God.
2: Yeah. God. All right. All of them. Awesome. All awesome. of the all of the children. All, all of the
0: children of God. <laughs> children.
2: All right. <laughs> all right. Take thank care. You, you too. Bye bye.